Accredited Master Coach, Speaker, Author, and Podcaster. Welcome to my podcast, The Can Do Way. My guests from across the globe have can do stories of growth, resilience, and success to share. Tune in and be inspired by these individuals who have developed a strong can do approach. Each one of their stories is unique, each one of their stories has a key message. This episode of The Can Do Way, I'm talking to Sylvia Anthony, performance coach. Now, Sylvia is a resilient speaker and founder of Mindset Mine, a coaching platform specializing in career building and self leadership. From starting her own business after a near death experience, Sylvia has made it her life mission to empower ambitious individuals with the skills to thrive. Through her speaking and online program, Sylvia now helps individuals build resilient businesses and careers to live a life they are truly proud of. Welcome to the show today, Sylvia. Thank you, Gail. Thank you for having me. Let's get on to hear a little bit about you first. If you can take my listeners through a short walk through your life to give them just a glimpse of your background and how you arrived at doing what you do today. Gail, let me take you back to last year, 2021. And that was a year that tested everything that I knew and believed in. So let me tell you what happened. In April of last year, while doing my self-breast examination, I suddenly felt a lump. And when I pressed the lump, it had bloody discharge. Can you imagine the fear that I felt Mm. when, when that happened? So the very next day I called the hospital, I made an appointment to see a specialist to do a scan. And when she scanned the lump, she told me these very scary words. She said, it is shaped very oddly. And we know when we hear those words, that could only mean one thing, that it looked like cancer. And at that moment, my life just stood still. I am relatively a healthy person. I eat well, I exercise, I meditate, and I'm so ambitious. And yet in just one day, one day, I found myself on the other end of the equation. I was no longer the coach, but I became the patient. Everything that I worked for, all my achievements, I could feel it slipping from my hand. Um, After numerous scans and blood tests, I finally got good news that it wasn't cancer but I would have to have a surgery to remove the lump. So sometime in May last year, I had my surgery. And you would think that would be the end of it, right? That's my happy ending to my story. Unfortunately, life had different plans for me. Five days later, I developed a fever. So I went back to the surgeon and she asked me to do a COVID test and a blood test. (sighs) I will never forget the call that I got that evening. The doctor called me back and she said, I don't know what to tell you, Sylvia, but you have COVID and you also tested positive for dengue, dengue fever. And for those of you who know what dengue is, right, it's it's, um, a fever that you get in tropical countries and it is very deadly. I told my husband, I said, is the universe playing a trick on me? This cannot be real. Just wake me up from this nightmare. And when I got that call from the doctor, I thought, this is it. This is how I die. 
I had no choice at that point. Uh, last year, COVID was still quite new in Malaysia and there were a lot of things that were very vague. No one knew what to do. There were a lot of fatalities from COVID. This was pre-vaccination. All the hospitals were full. So I had to go back to the private hospital where I had my surgery. I didn't want to go to the quarantine center because we all saw the horrors of how the quarantine center looked like. Furthermore, I had dengue, I had COVID, and my surgical wound was just five days old. So there was a high risk of infection. But to be in the private hospital, they told me that I had to give them a deposit of 20000 and it was near midnight. When we finally found the 20000 I could be admitted, and I was there for 11 days and 10 nights. I would not wish this on my worst enemy, Gil. This was what happened to me last year. That is, I'm sure everybody has been just holding their breath, just listening to your catalogue of experiences. And I'm, I, I'm sure I, I can't imagine um, what you have gone through, but it seems like one of the things that you said in your, in, in your introduction was the universe playing tricks with you. And you said those words as well, that you life stood still for a moment. So those must be, I mean, the alarming just listening to you and and I'm sure other people are sharing in this as well. It's like, how does this all happen to one person? So yeah, just exactly. when, we, just when exactly. we go through that right now, that first part of, of what you've shared, what, what were some of the first things that, were going through your mind when you were in that state of the fact that life was just standing still for a moment? What what was going through your mind? I was, now that I think of it, I was just blank. It was just surreal for me. I felt like I was in this dream state where I had to keep asking myself, is this real? Is this a nightmare? Am I really going through this? Then I went through this whole process of why me? Why me? I have been a good person. I have taken care of my health. And a lot of your listeners would feel this as well because we have done everything right. We have done our best. And yet sometimes life just doesn't go your way. I was going through that self-victimization process where I was just asking myself, why me? Why me? Why me? Eventually, that made me feel a lot worse. It impacted my health that was already going down at that moment. And I had a decision to make at that moment. The decision was, what now, Sylvia? What now? You did not ask for this. There were, there were a lot more people who were not as careful as me. You got to remember this, Gail. I was extremely careful. I took my sanitizing wipes everywhere. I, took, I had bottles of sanitizers in my bag. So it did not make sense that I got this from a surgery. And um, at that point, it was not going to help me asking this question, why me? It was not a helpful question. It was not going to help me move forward in my predicament. It was not going to change anything. And I had a very important decision to make at that point. And I started asking myself, okay, what now? what now? That was a life-changing process for me. And that whole incident was where I learned 
the skill of building resilience. The skill of building resilience. Most definitely. You, you know, I just, just listening to you and, and all of those questions you asked yourself, and I'm sure people who have shared similar experiences and particularly trauma that you went through yourself, this personal trauma, and you do, you, you will wallow in yourself to start with, won't you? Because you were thinking, well, all the, all the fingers are pointed at me and I've been thrown this. I've been, life has thrown me this really tough curveball, but I have to wallow first. And, you know, I, I've, I've had friends who have gone through similar experiences to you and others who've gone through grief, which is life traumas. And for some of them, they have resisted that stage of wallowing and actually feeling sorry for themselves first because they feel that putting on a brave face right from the start is the way forward. What would you say to that in terms of your your role as being a coach? Right. So this thing about resilience, that we put so much of pressure on the real victims, because even though we call, we tell people, and we are so tempted as coaches to tell people, do not act like a victim. We have to remember in a lot of cases, it is true. It is not the person over-exaggerating what they've gone through. They are victims of circumstances. They have been victimized in their lives a lot of times. And we cannot take away or diminish their pain by telling them, hey, don't play the victim. So this thing about resilience that really woke me up when I was going through this. And what you said is, is extremely true, Gail, that we try to diminish someone's pain by telling them, you don't wallow, don't wallow in the pain. Try to find the strength. And that is the misconception, the number one misconception of what resilience is. Because people think being resilient is remaining focused and positive during your darkest hours. If you Google what resilience is, you will get a lot of cliches like uh, bouncing back, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or my mm -hmm. personal favorite, be positive. Oh mm -hmm. my goodness, I can't stand that. <laughs> I can't stand that. Because that is not what resilience is. Resilience is actually walking forward together with your tragedy, walk hand in hand with your tragedy. You don't diminish or you don't dismiss what has happened to you. You embrace it and you find a way to walk with it hand in hand. That is what resilience actually is. And that took me a traumatic incident to realize that. It took me the horror of what happened last year to really realize that, look, Sylvia, you can do this. You don't have to diminish what you've gone through. You can walk hand in hand. You can, you can dance with your demons. You can face the darkest parts of you and you will be okay. That is what resilience is. I love the way that you just said when you can walk forward with your tragedy and it, it's a partnership, isn't it? It's a, yet another part of your personal growth and helping yourself win through what you have experienced, but you have to touch all the points of the impact that it had on you because otherwise you're going to be caught in a vortex, you're going to be stuck and 
as you said, it really did impact your health to be in that wallowing stage, but you wanted to see a way forward from there. So at what point when you were noticing that it was impacting your health, what what point did you get to before you realised that you could and had the power within yourself to actually ask that next question of what now? I would say it was not so much in the hospital. It was when I was discharged from the hospital. Mm-hmm. I started having very bad post-traumatic stress disorder. My PTSD was extremely terrible. The few nights after I got home, I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking I was still in the hospital room. I could still hear the beeping of the machines. I could see the room when I opened my eyes. I could see the nurses in their PPE standing in front of me. Mm -hmm. And physically, I wasn't 100% either. I still had shortness of breath. I couldn't taste. In fact, Gil, until now, I still can't taste my favorite chocolate and that chills (laughs) me a little bit. I am grateful to be here. Mm. So it's a long recovery, especially if you haven't been vaccinated. Mm. And at that time, my viral load was extremely high. I was also very frustrated because many people around me seem to have recovered. And some people commented, why is your recovery so slow? Mm. So at that point, I felt like like a failure. And it was at that point Once again, that that question came up, what now? I had this question like I shared with you and the listeners just now when I was in the hospital. What now, Sylvia? What now? And this was a point when I came out from the hospital and I told myself, it's going to be five months, six months. How much more can I take? How much more am I willing to torture myself? Because that's what it was at that point. I was torturing myself. I was putting myself through so much of pain at that point. I was no longer in the hospital, but I became my own worst enemy. And that's when I just said, enough, enough. I can't take this pain anymore. But instead of going to, I'm going to give up, something just told me, why not try? Try to practice self-compassion. And this was a mindfulness practice that I learned many years ago during meditation. So I started asking myself different questions rather than why me? Why am I cursed? Why is this the universe doing this to me? It is just about using different language. And that is so powerful because I started asking myself, what do I need at this moment to feel my best? And I started to be very patient with my healing. I prioritized my healing. My healing would now be according to my timeline, not according to my family, not according to my friends or anyone else's. I trusted that my body was wiser than anyone else's opinion. And I also practiced self-compassion by learning to ask for help when I couldn't cope. This was when I started going for therapy for my PTSD. And I also reached out to my family and friends, but I couldn't take it. I like this concept of worrying together. Don't worry alone when you can worry together. Mm -hmm. This makes you feel less isolated and it really helps with with your healing. Mm -hmm. So doing this scale, prioritizing my well-being, following my timeline, 
that was the best decision I made. By doing this, I found joy in my life again. And the people who love me most are happier. It is not selfish to put yourself first because they are happy because they can see that I have found meaning and purpose in my life again. And not only that, I now have a thriving coaching and speaking practice that I love and it brings me so much of joy. And this was only possible because I prioritized my healing and my well-being. It's a beautiful, a beautiful story of hope attached to the resilience because you have you've you've created a successful outcome for yourself, but now you have the power in you to enable that in others as well. And it's it is it is so vital that we don't just take our own experience and keep it to ourselves, you know, and you have the tools, you have the skills, you have the the way of all the practice that you you brought into your own life that has really helped you to be able to shine again now. As you said, you've rediscovered your joy. And so you want in your clients who come to you, whether they're an inner audience and you're speaking to them or you're working with them on a one-to-one, is helping them discover that joy as well. May I just add here, Gail, Please. that... The issue of control has always been a big one for me. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I had to adapt and become very agile was my control. I was a person and I even have clients like this, right? We want to control every <laughs> single thing, our outcome, our how other people think, how we are perceived. And this was a huge lesson for me to learn. And this is what I bring in my coaching practice. I bring whatever I've learned during my darkest hours to bring light to others. So this issue of control, this was a huge lesson because where else can I learn that we can't control everything other than the hospital room sitting down there helpless, not having anyone to help me. I can't even call my family in because I was in the isolation ward. I was all alone. And when you can't control everything, especially when you're a very high achieving person, it can make you feel very inadequate. And we have people on the other end of the spectrum who believe that their lives are highly dependent on fate or luck. And this can also make you feel very powerless. So what I had to learn, I had to learn at that moment is how to have a balanced sense of control accept that I don't have complete control over everything and lovingly, lovingly recognize my own limitations. So what I did instead was to focus on the things that I do have control over, like my perception and what steps I could take from there on. And when you cannot change your situation, you still have the freedom to change your attitude towards that situation. That is where the real strength of the human spirit lies. When you learn to let go of the details that you cannot control, you will be able to devote yourself to the things that you can control, which will give you the ability to accomplish incredible feats. And that is what I did for my life. Couldn't agree with you more. And that's the whole, the essence of the can-do podcast and that's the reason why I I love doing this show and love hearing stories such as yours to inspire 
my audience with because it is and you you can only control what you can control because the rest of it is 99% of it we can't and is it is completely out of our control so your your wisdom that you have shared um, as one of your biggest learning lessons from this experience is um, is wonderful for my audience. So we come to the time in the interview, Sylvia, that I'd love to hear what are those three life mantras or your can-do tips that you would love to leave the listeners with today? Let me share with you the three practices, the three resilience practices, which are can-do tips that I used um, that kept me going during my darkest hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the first big one, the first big tip is acceptance. Acceptance. Common belief, like what I mentioned just now about resilience is that for you to be resilient, you must be positive, isn't it? You've heard of that, right, Gail? That you mm-hmm. have to be positive. Most definitely. Is, yeah, but that is not true. Isn't that surprising? But resilience is more than being positive. And when you're in a very traumatic situation, being just positive doesn't help. It can border on toxic positivity, where when someone is going through something terrible, you tell them, look on the bright side, just be positive. You are stronger than you think. It's You have good intentions, but it's definitely not helpful. Mm-hmm. Trust me, trust me. I've been on the other end of it and it's annoying at best. <laughs> So you'll discover that the most decisive thing that you can do is to accept and embrace your reality. This is a form of mindfulness. For me, it was accepting that I was extremely sick. For you, it may be accepting that you've lost your job, you're going through a divorce, or you've lost a loved one. Accepting this isn't easy because it takes a lot of courage and looking deep within yourself. But this is very important, acceptance, because only when you accept your reality can you decide what to do next. Can you learn the lesson that you were supposed to learn? But I would say this, accept your reality no matter how sucky it is and accept yourself no matter how imperfect you are. Because acceptance gives you the power to empower yourself. The second thing, would be to cultivate gratitude. This is not a new thing, but you would be surprised how many of us do not practice this. This is different from being overly positive. Why? It is because gratitude is actually rooted in reality. It is a form of realistic optimism. You are not making things up. You are opening your eyes to the things in your life that are actually going right. And you must consciously embrace the good things that are happening to you. And I use the word embrace because it literally means you have to hold it close to you because it is very normal to feel like everything is horrible when you're going through despair. In psychology, we call this magnifying the negative and minimizing the positive. So I had to learn to embrace my blessings and replace my self-pity with gratitude. Let me teach you a, a very easy skill that I use. And this is called the yes and technique. I replace the thought with something more realistic. This is how it goes. Yes, some bad things have happened to me. And 
plenty of good things have happened to me as well. Rather than saying, yes, some bad things have happened to me, but plenty of good things have happened to me as well. When you say, but you negate and you dismiss the pain that you've gone through. This is not what we're looking for. We don't want to deny it, but we want to use the word and because two realities can exist at the same time. Yes, I am in the isolation ward and I am sick and I have a loving family. Yes, I have COVID and I have a family that cares for me. So this helps you to cultivate gratitude, having the yes and the end. And the third thing I would say is to cultivate meaning in your life. I am a lifelong student of the renowned psychologist, the late psychologist, Viktor Frankl. And he was one of the survivors of the Nazi concentration camps during World War II. He asked himself, why did some people survive when most perished? And in many instances, the ones that survived were not the ones who were stronger than the others, but the ones who survived found a way to make meaning from their situation. Victor found something that had great meaning for him and it gave him enormous resilience. He survived and he wrote this in his remarkable book, which is my favorite book, Man's Search for Meaning. During my darkest hours in the hospital, I thought of his book and the lessons that I learned. And I asked myself, how can I find meaning from this senseless situation? And if you can't find meaning, you can always create it. I promised myself, I am not going to let my pain go to waste. And I decided that if I got out of life, I would build a coaching platform where I could share my story with others, where I could help people build resilient businesses and careers. And this is it. When you find meaning in your situation, it gives you the ability to cope with hardship and suffering. You can turn your tragedies into a personal triumph. Thank you so much. Those are... Magnificent resilience tips, and and I can hear in your voice, Sylvia, just the the depth of um, passion that you learnt from your own personal experience, and that you are relaying that to others, and really helping other people to think deeply about how they too can become more resilient. But I particularly love the um, yes and technique, you know, that reality check, that moment to say, yes, this is what is happening and I have some other wonderful things or and I have in my life. So it's, as you said, it's that that um, realistic positivity rather than it being toxic for ourselves. So thank you so much for sharing about how to accept and embrace your reality, to embrace your blessings and to cultivate um, that meaning in your life. So my final question for you then is, why do you feel a can-do attitude is absolutely essential? A can-do attitude, wow, that sits at the heart of human flourishing, doesn't it? It does Um, indeed. Yeah, and I wouldn't call this just an attitude. These are human skills, learning resilience, self-compassion, emotional agility, learning to improvise. 
all these are part of the can-do attitude, and they are so so important as they serve as a roadmap to thrive in an uncertain world. And the good news is this: I will leave you with this: everything that we mentioned today can be learned. You can learn these skills to thrive, no matter how old you are and whatever situation you are in. Fantastic! Absolutely fantastic! And I can't believe that half an hour has gone by. But just listening to all of your words, your experience, Sylvia, and and as I just shared, the depth of what it means to you to be able to really bring people. Or to help them partner when they are in the dark in their lives through whatever they have experienced, and you have got the the tools and the techniques and the personal experience to help walk with them into the light of what they can do and how they can lead themselves to a more resilient future. So thank you so much for being my guest today on the Can Do Way. It was my pleasure, Gail. Thank you for having me. Most welcome. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Do you live and breathe a can-do attitude? Have an inspiring perspective, a life-changing experience, or intriguing story to share? Always curious and with an insatiable appetite for a good yarn, I invite you to be my guest. Do get in touch via my website, gailmgibson.com. The Can Do Way podcast, refreshing, positive and real.